The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. guitars would softly play the tune seemed to dance round the words that it said I'm a polar my pretty little puppy alright well hey everybody welcome to the winemakers been here <laughs> And that was a classy song. We're with a classy guy, Richard Arrowwood. What a pleasure to have you on the show today. And, and thank you for coming. I'm sitting here with my best friends, Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey. I'm John Myers, and we are the winemakers. And so we're just going to have a wonderful afternoon. My what pleasure. What a beautiful spot on this earth. Thank you. I mean, it's just stunning. Well, you can't go wrong in Sonoma Valley, really, uh... Grazie, Sam. And this is just kind of the cherry on top of the Sunday, so to speak. Well, you know, we used to go to your old spot so much. And, you know, so beautiful. The imagery didn't exist back then. It was just a beautiful valley in front. And uh, I remember meeting uh, your lovely daughter at the time. I mean, this is a long time ago. and uh, uh, But we uh, loved... Arrowwood wines. That was just it. And you're the guy who made them. So thank you very much. It's much appreciated and much appreciated that you let us in today. Yeah, oh, my pleasure, so. my honor. I, you know, Richard, what strikes me about this location where the, where the winery is, and I won't say the new winery because at this point it's not, um, is all the rocks. I mean, it is unbelievable the size of the rocks that you t- have to take out of the ground here. Yeah, actually, it was amazing because the people, uh, uh, I think John Benward was the fellow that did all the excavation for us. And uh, unbeknownst to me, when I signed the hard rock clause, and it, I don't mean the cafe and, uh, and the hotel in Las Vegas, uh, <laughs> when I signed that, I never thought very much about the fact that we'd actually have to use it. And about 50-some thousand dollars extra later, I noticed that. <laughs> this is, we're on a quarry, you know, and you'd think I'd have enough common sense to not build something on top of a quarry, but no. What is the rock component? Well, you know, the male soil, the, the main soil types here, uh, basalt and rhyolite, uh, are really where the vineyard, uh, I, seem, I think, think really does the best. But what you're going to see, if you go up towards our, our residence at about a thousand foot elevation, there are uh, a tremendous amount of these cobbles, uh, that cobblestones that are actually, uh, they look like cubes. I mean, that's just the way they come out of the earth. And, uh, uh, I guess a lot of these cobbles will actually actually found their way to the Market Street area of San Francisco way back in the day. Yeah, and, that's uh, the there's not a ton of it left anymore, but a lot of the curbs and a lot of the cobblestone streets of San Francisco is all Sonoma Valley rock. Uh, up here, Shock and Hill, right behind, like right behind the plaza. Sonoma built Son- Sonoma the city. rock. Yeah. Sonoma built the city. Yeah, Sonoma built San Francisco. <laughs> but but then the amazing thing then is is it goes from that soil up to Monterosa 
where it turns red, right? Well, that's the basalt. I mean, that's what you're really going to see, that iron oxide type soil. Uh, we have a good part of that here. So it starts here at the winery. If you go down about another 200 feet, a little bit lower in what we call our China Bowl area, that's mostly rhyolite. But you get up to the higher elevations, and yeah, you're right next door to, to Monterosso, and of course that's that's golden. And so what a beautiful site Monterosso is. This is the, the first time that we've actually recorded the podcast in the Moon Mountain District, so you know, feel like I kind of want to call that out. It's the only Appalachian in the United States that's entirely volcanic soil. So anywhere you go around here, you're running into something that's, you know, young, bound soils. Uh, it's not a place that, um, you know, it's not a place to grow corn or soybeans. Uh, the only thing that you can grow up here is, well, our two best crops are, you know, Cabernet and rocks. Then we actually get tonnage-wise, we do a lot better with rocks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely true. That's what your dad always told us. Phil would always say, "Well, you've got a lot of rocks here. We ought to be able to sell some." And problem is, we can't even give them away. So, yeah. <laughs> costs more to bring them down the hill. Exactly. So, Richard, I, uh, you know, without giving any of our um, ages away, I, I have to say, your first harvest was the year I was born as near as I can tell from history. You didn't really have um, to say that. <laughs> I say that in utmost respect. And the reason why, I mean, the amount of experience that you have in this, um, in winemaking and grape growing, it, it's, it's mind boggling. And I know a couple years ago it was celebrated. You guys did a bunch of nice uh, retrospective tastings that looked amazing. And, um, and at any rate, it, it's, it's something to, to acknowledge. So, uh, you know, well, 50, you. 53 years is uh, beginning this year, if you will, the 53rd year of, of harvesting fruit and uh, learning how to make wine. Uh, I'm still, a, still studying it uh, quite, quite, uh, quite well. But, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of people always amazed that uh, you still be around at 50, 53 years, but I try to explain to them I started when I was only three years old, so you must have, <laughs> you're not buying that either. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, well, the, we're not. The thing about that, you know, when we talk about this a lot, um, but here we are, we're sitting with somebody, this is his 53rd harvest, uh, as far as, you know, the history of, you know, modern winemaking in Sonoma, you can't talk about it without talking to, about you, Richard, but the other thing... You, You've only done this 52 times. I mean, it's the craziest thing about right. making wine. You know, we're not making beer where you can make a new batch every day. Um, so, maybe, you know, talk about how, uh, you know, maybe your, your process has evolved in, in that, you know, 52 uh, different harvests and, and, you know, maybe a little bit about how the surrounding Sonoma Valley has changed and, and you know, some of those things that just kind of pop your head when I, when I say yeah, that. Yeah, you know, you think back when you're going to school. Uh, my, uh, my original understudy uh, got my degree in organic chemistry from Cal State uh, University in Sacramento and then went on to fermentation science Cal State Fresno. And the things that they taught you uh, Another are Fresno. Sorry, oh, basically, like three shows in a row with Fresno. We're gonna get the people at Davis gonna start coming after us. Okay, sorry. <laughs> well, Davis, great school. Nothing wrong with Davis. Uh, I had a chance to to be a teacher's assistant in chemistry. Uh, so, and I was married and uh, had to earn a living. Had to figure a way to make a couple of bucks. So that was one way to do it when I was doing my fermentation studies. But I think the things that they they taught you back then were more just you know, do as little as possible to screw things up, so to speak. Right. And the experimentation was, was always uh, in the forefront. But, you know, until you really uh, had ownership of your own facilities, you always had to take that very careful 
step and make sure that uh, you either had somebody with you that understood as far as the owners are concerned um, or um, you, you didn't do it. You did things the way they taught you in school, which was always the safe way, right. not necessarily the best way. Uh, when you have your own facilities, yeah, you can, you can stretch a little bit and experiment. You know, the idea here at Amapola Creek is uh, I'm not trying to, you know, diamonds by the wheelbarrow full are rhinestones. So <laughs> I'm not trying to, to make uh, anything but a handful of gems. And so we want to stay as small as possible and focused. And hands-on operation really is a lot more fun. I've had an opportunity to run wineries from a million case operation down to the size we are here, three to 5,000 cases. Uh, that's plenty wow. big. Wow. Uh, and it's much more, uh, much more hands-on and much more uh, of, of paying attention to what Mother Nature gives you. You know, we always hear that old trite statement about uh, wines are made in the vineyard, but everybody at this table knows darn well yeah. that's exactly the situation is exactly what's here. That's what's so fine about Moon Mountain District of Sonoma Valley because uh, we've got some great wines being made in these great vineyards. Right. And that, that's, and maybe we'll just jump into it because that's the thing that when... When I found out that we were going to have you on the podcast, that I was the most excited to talk to you about because it defines my everyday existence now. But as far as using, creating vineyard-designated wines, um, and you're the person as in, in this valley and really the state that, that you know, deserves a lot of the credit for that and, and doing that at, at Chateau St-Jean and, and then obviously Amapola Creek is, you know, an estate wine. Um but talk about that a little bit and, and maybe how that happened um, and, and what that did for your, you know, your career and in, in the industry because you know, it's all about vineyard designates now, and that didn't exist really. You know, yeah, and, and just to add ago. to that, Richard, a little bit, we've had discussions on the podcast before about how now it's almost a vineyard designate is almost another way just to sell a product. And Vineyard designations came out of respect for the vineyard, either being unique or incredibly good, incredibly good, incredibly high quality. So on that note. Yeah, I, I think back in the St. Jean days, uh, the first, uh, first experimentation we did with vineyard designates, I remember telling, uh, matter of fact, uh, that there were two brothers, Robert and Edward Merzoyan and a brother-in-law, Ken Sheffield, who were the owners of Chateau St. Jean. And uh, the two brothers have sadly passed away. Ken Sheffield is still alive. Uh, I talk to Ken occasionally, but uh, I remember that time when uh, Ken was asking me about what we could do with Chateau St. Jean, how we could make it special. And I said, well, one thing that might be kind of interesting is I said, Sonoma County has so many beautiful uh, different viticultural areas that we can draw from, and, and more than that, many different vineyard sites. Uh, that uh, I think uh, really could spell uh, different fingerprints and have different characteristics. So I said, but I got to, you know, he says, well, maybe we ought to look at that. And I said, well, Ken, he asked me, he said, can you do it? And I said, well, I think so. I think we can have some good times at it. But I said, one thing, it's going to cost a lot. And I remember him saying, Richard, I didn't ask you how much it was going to cost. I asked you if we could do it. And I said, all right, yeah, you bet. So uh, we went out and did that. And I can remember back in the day, uh, when we first did our vineyard designates, we started, we only had one in 1974, which was McCray Vineyard. Now I think Kistler has that uh, piece. Uh, Don von Stauber farmed it for many, many years. His wife, Margot, of course, is still a winemaker at uh, Chateau St. Jean. Um, uh, but um, uh, then in 75, uh, we had, uh, I think, uh, eight different wines, eight different Chardonnays. And uh, I remember L.A. Magazine did an article, um, and uh, 
This guy's, which we think was a pen name. His name was Van Delaney, and uh, he did Van this. Van Delaney. Van Delaney. Right, yeah, nice. and so, <laughs> which one. a lot of people think uh, is that actually this was uh, Andrew Coleman, but uh, I'm not sure who it was. It's not important. <laughs> there you go. But uh, the the point was interesting because he wrote this article about the Chardonnays of Chateau Saint Jean and and myself, and and he said that while. It was an interesting um, idea. It was more of an experiment that belonged in the laboratory more than in a in an industrial winemaking sense. And of course, when I those were the days when you didn't have the internet. So I pulled myself off the ceiling and came down and spent a little time on one of those Climax yellow pads, you know. And I started to write notes. And after about the fourth time, I got rid of most of the pejoratives that I had put in there and sent him a note. And uh, did the best I could. Took a deep breath and and sent him a nice letter. So he, by uh, you know by by golly, he finally wrote back and he said, well, and he said, what was so crazy about this article? He said, well, I hadn't tasted the wines. I couldn't believe that they'd be that different. And I thought to myself, you know, uh, so much for research. Uh, on yeah, the exactly. yeah. Typical wine writer. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Well, at those days, but uh, so he wrote back and said, well. He'd be happy to taste the wines this time. So I sent him the wines, and he tasted them, and he came back and says, indeed, they are all different, but he says, I still think it's more of a laboratory mentality and not one that's going to do much in the market. Well, I, you know, I, again, I, wanted to, I decided not to write him back a second time, but I wanted to say, well, have you ever heard of a little area in France called Burgundy? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> they do make a few vineyard designates there. Um, uh, Germany, yeah, they make a few there too. But uh, it was something that I think California needed to uh, define, especially here in Sonoma County, because we had some beautiful areas, both here in Sonoma Valley, Russian River Valley, uh, Alexander Valley, and those were the areas that we focused on. And uh, it, it became very interesting to, to most folks who really wanted to see the differential uh, characteristics of each of, these, uh, each of these areas. And over the years, how wrong could he have been? Think well, about that. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's sort of like the politicians, you know, trying to guess what what's going to happen next. Most of them never get it right anyway. <laughs> well, and, you know, let's face it. At that point, there were a lot of vineyards that were planted in places where they shouldn't have been. Absolutely. I mean, I think of Steiner Cabernet. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Sure. Um, you know, that was sure. like green beans in a can. Yes. Um, yeah, and, 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 and so a lot of that also is that... De- Analyzing the vineyard so specifically, it also led people to realize that maybe there were different varieties should have been planted in the same spot and stuff like that. Oh yeah, there's there's no there's no two ways about it. Uh, you know what what really uh, I think put put Saint Jean on the map, I suppose, was uh, the late harvest Riesling that we made back in 1974, and uh, that came from several different vineyards. We didn't just do one. Uh, but uh, identifying the fact that Botrytis can grow here in Sonoma County just as it does in Germany, and in, in fact in certain areas, maybe even more so, um, that made some sense. We then went from a blend of several vineyards to 75 again, where we made, I think, three... Uh, no, we actually had two different Rieslings, uh, uh, late-harvest Rieslings, uh, uh, the, and then, then f- further on down the line in the, in the late 70s, 76, 77, 78, uh, we had as many as seven or eight different Rieslings from not only Sonoma County, but even some up in, in, uh, in the uh, uh, Anderson uh, Valley and then up in Mendocino. 
Yeah, when are you going to make a dry Riesling? I know you're a fan. <laughs> I am, but it's been... A, I did make one uh, many, many years ago at St. Jean. The, the, I think the difficulty... Yeah, I'm going to be real frank and real honest, which may not make everybody in Sonoma happy, but, you know, I, I think we can do a great job with, with uh, let's start out with an Auslese style, Baron Auslese, Trocan Baron Auslese styles uh, with Botrytis. But uh, for the drier Rieslings, I think you really have to go much further north, and you probably go up to Washington State, and they're going to do a nice, better job, I think, because you'll get the flavor characteristics at the lower sugars. Now, you can do it. Here, but then you're going to have to dealk things because to get the flavor profiles you want, you're going to be picking at a higher sugar than you really want to get alcohol from. Right, right. So you're going to be sitting with with much higher alcohols, and it doesn't have the freshness and crispness that you're looking for. Maybe we could plant some riesling in Montana. I know. Then you give me of a summer project. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's uh, you know, it's funny on the east side of Flathead Lake. There's uh, some vinifera, quite a bit of vinifera planted, primarily Gewürztraminer and Pinot Noir. Um, there's a fellow on the west side, uh, which I think is called the Mission Mountain Winery, and uh, although I haven't had, met, had a, chance, a chance to meet the fellow, um, I've been there a couple of times, and this poor guy has planted, you look at this vineyard, and it's been replanted about six, seven times, because he'll plant it, it'll grow a couple of crops, and then the you know, ground freezes, kills all the vinifera, and he starts fresh every time. You talk about being a pioneer, the guy is <laughs> tough, you got to be tough. That's the word, pioneer. What do they say, pioneers? Yeah, maybe there's, some, the guys maybe the there's consulting the there that could be done right Well, there. yeah, no. <laughs> consulting My, to maybe not do it. Yeah, yeah well, that, that could be true. But uh, I haven't, you know, I've, when we boated around Flathead to look look up into the east side, as I said, you can see the vinifera vines. And uh, although I haven't talked to some of the folks there, I know that the, I know what's planted, just talking to some people who, who do know uh, that there is Gewürztraminer and, uh, and Pinot Noir planted there. As a production winery in every state so yeah even even montana yeah um, yeah absolutely big sky wines big sky yeah. wines by sam yeah. katuri and richard arrow there you go it's a you whole dry reason the whole new only model baby <laughs> if, if my wife hears this <laughs> podcast i'll tell you one thing i keep anything any sharp objects away from her because uh, brian promises so to buy all of it so okay. <laughs> you got a deal <laughs> Richard, will you tell us where the name Amapola came from and, and maybe a little bit about the way we started this show with that song? Yeah. Well, Amapola, you mentioned, is, is a, it was a great song back in the, in the 40s. Uh, my mom uh, and my dad uh, grew up in, in the local area here. My dad was, besides uh, in the real estate business and in uh, savings and loan, and, and was also a, uh, uh, a title company, Northwestern Title uh, researcher, and um, my dad was a um, musician in a local dance band called Ralph Rawson Orchestra, and he played string bass. My mom's nice. favorite, my mom's favorite song was uh, Amapola, which hit the Billboard 100 in 1941. Wow. And uh, Jimmy Dorsey came out with it. It's an old song. It's been around a long time. Most people would know the tune; they just don't know the name, and they hear it. So we decided. Amapola meaning poppy in Spanish, and because we've got a creek growing through the property here that didn't have a name, and you looked at the creek, and, and every year about springtime, you'd see these poppies pop up. So I told Elise, um, I said, you know, we ought to name this after, you know, in my mom's honor. So we did. We said Amapola, Amapola Creek. That's where it came from. Um, and there's still quite a bit of poppies around the property here and there. Uh, but, um, you know, I think... Uh, the most current version that you can hear of it is, uh, I think, Andre Bocelli has his operatic Amapola, which is a beautiful piece that he does. 
Uh, Montavani has an Amapola piece that's very good. And then the one that I grew up on, which my dad listened to and we heard many times, was from Benny Goodman. And uh, Helen Forrest did the vocals on that. And so, uh, but if you look at the, the uh, little piece of music over there, that was a Jimmy Dorsey original one. I saw that, that when out. we yeah. came in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. very yeah. nice. Yeah, that's yep. where it came from. Find that on vinyl. Bring that into the tasting house. <laughs> For Vinyl Sunday. For Vinyl Sunday. Well, let's talk... About Amapola and, and maybe sort of the the history of it post Arrowwood and mm-hmm. uh, what you're you know what you're doing here and we have a bottle of the Cabernet open so we should probably you know, after we taste a little of my homage blanc taste yeah, taste so some of the cab and, and uh, talk Speaking about talk about the vineyards here a little bit um, well know, beautiful up, wines up in the Moon Mountain district yeah, the original plan uh, in 2000 Robert Mondavi. Uh, came to us and said that he wanted to get into Sonoma County. They offered to buy Arrowwood Winery. Um, we went kind of back and forth, and I said, well, I said, I really didn't want to sell at the time, but I said, uh, I'd only be interested in selling it to you if I could stay on board. And his thing was, we only want to buy it if you'll stay on board. And I said, well, this could be a good synergy. So for four and a half years, we had a fantastic relationship with the Robert Mondavi family. Um, I still occasionally have contact with... Uh, with Tim or Michael, um, and uh, uh, but uh, it, it was one of those times that um, uh, we had our house on the property at Arrowwood, and so we decided, well, we've got to—they're going to need that house for a guest house. So uh, we looked for a, a piece of property. We found uh, the property where Amapola Creek now is, is situated. Um, we decided to plant vineyards. We made a deal with the Mondavi Corporation to. Uh, plant vines here, and then we'd sell them back to Arrowwood Winery because I was going to be there. I had a 10-year contract. Um, in the meantime, um, about four and a half years into it, um, the situation occurred where Constellation Brands came in, did a hostile takeover uh, of the uh, corporation because it was a public corporation, decided to spin off uh, the few wineries that, they, that, that Mondavi actually had that were profitable, uh, which at that time uh, they decided to to uh, to let Arrowwood go, even though we were probably only contributing a million and a half, two million bucks to their bottom line, which for Constellation is pocket change. You know. Dropping the bucket. Exactly. So it's too bad. And it, yeah, and it was just one of those things. So we thought, well, okay. They said, do you want to buy it back? And we said, possibly. You know, what do you want for the for the winery? And they said, well. You can't just buy Arrowwood, you have to buy Byron Winery too, as they had that on the market. And we said, no, we we don't want two of them. And so they said, "Uh, well, we have somebody who wants to buy them both. I said, well, why don't you sell them Byron and I'll buy Arrowwood back from you. No, they want them both. So they sold them to a group called Legacy Estates. They lasted about nine months. They owned Freemark (laughs) Abbey at the time, and then they filed bankruptcy. Now, that really didn't affect us. Uh, We were paid off, and... uh, but we had not planted the vineyards, so I thought to myself, well, I really don't really have, want to have anything to do with these folks. Uh, and so um, <laughs> I drug Elise into this, told her, I said, I'll tell you what, let's build another winery. Again, I can't say on air what she told me because she never <laughs> uses those words and hasn't used them probably since, as I recall. But she wanted to know if I was out of my pejorative mind, and um, uh, I said, no. I said, you know, what are we going to do? I said, you know, I love shooting clay targets, hunting birds, fly fishing in Montana and things, but I said, um, uh, you know, how much of that can I really do? And certainly can't earn a living at that. And 
said, well, we don't need to learn a living. I said, well, no, that's not the point. The thing is, I got to do something if you want me to be at home all the time. You know, it's a different story. <laughs> Which, of course, that, that helped kind of solve this problem. So we built, henceforth started construction of Amapola Creek Winery. Well, through the bankruptcy process, where you learn more about bankruptcy than you ever want to know, uh, Just, Just Jackson, Barbara Banke acquired the, the winery out of bankruptcy along with Byron and, and, and uh, Freemark Abbey. And so um, Jess called me on the phone. I matter of fact, at that time I was in Montana, and he called me on the phone and said, well, you know, we'd like you to stay on with Arrowwood. And I said, well, I'm building another winery. And I said, it's going to be hard to do. He says, oh, he says, we'll help you market that, which they did. And I said, okay. So I spent about, uh, see, that was 06, so probably almost, again, about another four, four and a half years there, and then decided full-time for, for Amapola Creek. So... Uh, our original plan was simply to plant grapes on a, what we thought was some very nice ground here and then sell that to Arrowwood, but uh, they had plenty of grapes, as you well know. Uh, the Jackson family has some superb vineyards throughout uh, Sonoma County and Napa and Oregon and a few other places now. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but the world. Uh, you know, the world, yeah, exactly. They've done very well. So anyway, the relationship there was, was solid, and, um, but we decided just to, to kind of focus on Amapola Creek. So I wanted to keep it small, uh, and that's exactly what we've done, uh, focused on, again, just, just really hands-on type winemaking. Um, it's still a handful. Uh, you know, what I'm looking for is I like my free time, you know, when I can get away at our home in Montana, um, and then at the same, yet at the same time, I still enjoy making wine. I don't enjoy a lot of the business aspect of it, as you know, the state of California, they're just getting better and better with all the business uh, <laughs> dilly-dally stuff you've got to do, which really uh, drives anybody who's in, a, in business nuts. And I mean, you have to have a person almost full-time just taking care of that. I detect and, uh, just a bit of cynicism. Well, there. there's a, a, yeah, tiny, slight, a slight, tiny, slight bit, amount. But yeah, slight down. amount. You, you but could this, build another winery no. in Montana no. and ship the <laughs> <it> grapes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you say things like that, Barton, and I just hope Elise doesn't hear it because I, uh, I'm going to have to make sure. And the worst thing is, just I taught to, her how to shoot, so that's even <laughs> that's even worse. Yeah. Uh, but um, no, it, it's uh, you know I love this time of year. This is when it all happens, uh, and. For me, uh, as a winemaker, uh, I really love this. This is, this is why I don't like to, wouldn't want to give it up, per se. But I also enjoy our free time. And the older I get, uh, of course, the more I enjoy uh, my wife and my dogs and all those different things that go with it. And, um, uh, but but this, is, this is the time of year when everything works well. Where did you grow up? Right here in Sonoma County, in Santa Rosa primarily. Wow. Went, to, went to all the schools in Santa Rosa and... Uh, um, we had a brief foray over in that, let's see, it's a four-letter word, uh, Napa. Uh, right. My father uh, was in the title business, as I mentioned, and so we were over there for a short period of time and then back here again. But uh, uh, that was in my, my uh, junior high school year and then back again. But, uh, so what's uh, the attraction to Montana? Uh, you know, I've got to be careful what I say here. Just the... The outdoors. It's a um, podcast. You can say whatever you want. Outdoors, politics, all those things. It's a lot <laughs> different than California. Right. right. And it's just totally different. And people treat you there um, with a tremendous amount of respect as long as you return that favor, vice versa. Uh, and, I mean, to me, that's just a, 
uh, it's really God's country, and it's what I really enjoy. Not that, not that Sonoma Valley and the Moon Mountain District is not. It is in every sense of the word. It's just different. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because, you, you know, you get out on Highway 12 here, and although it's probably not as crazy as Highway 29, uh, sometimes you, know, you get out the wrong time of day. I mean, you're just sitting there in traffic. One, one of the first years when we, we uh, purchased our first home in Montana back in 1996, I remember pulling out. We're about a mile and a half, two miles off the road, and most Montana roads are dirt. And you got to the highway, and uh, I got out to the edge of the, the crossroads there and get ready to turn on the highway and look both ways. And I remember saying, damn. And Elise said, what's wrong? And I said, the traffic. She says, what are you talking about? I said, if you look out there, it's about a mile and two miles. You see there's a car coming. <laughs> and, I mean, that's really, really what it is. It's, it's, it's very, very isolated in many respects. Summertime, of course, we get a lot of visitors and things. But, it's, uh, it's, you know, you're in the forest. We've got a beautiful trout stream goes through the property now. We built another home. Uh, and uh, it's just kind of nice to, you know, if you want to go outside and take in the fresh air, you can do it. Of course, certain times of the year when the fire season comes, sometimes you get a little bit of smoke. But uh, yeah. we've been, uh, last year was that way. This year, not as much and not, not quite as bad. But uh, uh, it, can be, it can be tough. But it's, it's, a, it's a great place. I don't, do I want to live there in the winter? No, thank you. Yeah. No. But, but uh, spring, part of summer, and then fall after harvest. So I'm here. Finished, as soon as harvest is over, I'm in the car. I'm right back, and we're going to going to hunt the wild grouse. So, <laughs> And did you grow up hunting and fishing around here? Uh, yeah, with a lot of buddies. Um, my, uh, my grandpa was a deputy sheriff. Uh, my, uh, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. A great uncle was actually sheriff of Sonoma County uh, way wow. back in the day. Um, so, was his uh, last name Arrowwood also? No, okay. uh, Venoni, Venoni was uh, my grandpa's name, uh-huh. and uh, uh-huh. Ellis, Johnny Ellis, was sheriff of Sonoma County. Was our was my uh, uh-huh. great uncle, I think. So, it, wow. uh, you know, yeah, just kind of a that aspect of it. So there was some of that in the family, but uh, my mom was never really crazy about the fact of having firearms around the house. So I never had much of that. So I had to go out with my buddies who lived on ranches. You know, some of the areas that I go to now, which, of course, are now planted to houses, um, <laughs> and we'd go hunting there. But it was a different thing. You know, you, you, in those days, you really had to have respect for everybody else's um, uh, items and, and, and their uh, things that they owned. So I remember walking in one of my buddy's house, and, and, you know, I was probably 13, 14 years old, and looking in his dad's room, and here's maybe 25, 30 rifles leaning against the wall. Now, you think for a second I'd have gone in there and touched one of those? I mean, it just, you didn't do that. Now, today, you got to have everything locked up, which we do, but uh, and that's, that's common sense. I have no problem with that, but it was just a different, different attitude, different time. You know, there were 17,000 people in Santa Rosa wow. uh, back when wow. I was a kid growing up, and I mean, everybody knew everybody. Uh, my... Uh, my father was fairly well known in in Santa Rosa, and I can remember, you know, the old days. Uh, I don't know if you guys, well, you're young enough. I don't know, but anyway, in the uh, it used to, we used to go up and down Fourth Street in Santa Rosa. You'd go to the around the courthouse, back to Flamingo Hotel, around the courthouse on Fourth Street, and you're always looking for for girls. You know, I never got lucky. I mean, I was just, but you, but hope springs eternal. But what kind of car were you in? 1947 Plymouth. Okay. Nice. Okay, nice. Yeah. Very nice. Good. Thank you. I yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Great question, Bart. Thank you. And, uh, uh, 
it, it, that was really phenomenal. It was about maybe quarter to 12, midnight, something like that, and the red light comes on behind me, so I pull over, and police officer gets out, and he says, uh, driver's license, registration, so I give it to him, and he says, uh, Arrowwood. In relation to Clyde Arrowwood? And I said, yeah, that's my father. He says, does Clyde know you're, uh, you're out uh, now? And I said, well, uh, I'm not sure. He says, well, should I give him a call, or do you want to head on home? I said, you know, I'll probably head on home. I wasn't afraid of the police officer. I was afraid of my, really afraid of my dad kicking my butt. So uh, in those days, you didn't embarrass your parents, that's for sure. Well, let's talk about wine. What yeah. exactly are you growing uh, up here on, uh, on property? Well, we planted primarily Cabernet Sauvignon. We have uh, a little bit of Petit Verdot that we use to, to blend with that. Uh, Sam's father, Phil, planted everything for us here. We're 100% organic farm, CCOF, California Certified Organic Farmers. Uh, we also have um, uh, a few acres of Grenache. We have a little bit of uh, Syrah, a little bit of Movedra. A little bit of petite Syrah. That sounds like a so, nice combination. You know, it sounds like perfect, perfect my dad doesn't it? Yeah. Cabernet. <laughs> you know, Richard, we're going to plant some Grenache over in that corner. And <laughs> you got but, it. But Phil would have never said, let's plant Petit Verdot. What do you have? Oh, a, isn't that a hard he variety does, to grow? Phil does what some winemakers ask of him, <laughs> and Richard is one of those winemakers. Phil, Phil is a winemaker's viticulturist. He is a person who understands winemaking. Obviously, he understands it very well. Um, when we talked about why Petit Verdot, you know, I just felt it added an interesting textural characteristic to Cabernet Sauvignon, so I felt, let's get a little bit of it planted. We only have, uh, oh, maybe three quarters of an acre okay. uh, planted of Petit Verdot, but we found a little pocket up in an area we call Bobcat Run, just because we've seen the Bobcat in and out of there all the time, but uh, uh, it's really protected from the wind uh it's usually the last thing we harvest it takes a while to get mature but it really adds a tremendous amount of additional flavor to to our i think our cabernet we put in anywhere from five to seven percent is a normal year where we have it again you know the tonnage our total tonnage during you know total production here for for tonnage is probably around 50 tons average a year total um, and how many acres are planted here? Well, we're just a little over, th about 13 acres of the 100 acres we have. Yeah. yeah. So we've got a tremendous amount of wildlife corridor, which, which we've left natural. We've only put deer fencing around the areas of the vineyard, so keep out the deer from nibbling on it. But we have a lot of open areas. So, I mean, we truly have, um, I think Montana's wild, it is. But here we've got, we've got deer, we've got mountain lion, we've got rabbits, we've got raccoons, we have turkeys, you know, just like everybody else yeah. has. And... Uh, we respect the wildlife, respect the land. That's what it's all about. It is, it is one of the f most fun and pain-in-the-butt things about picking here is you, every little block you have to go through another gate or another cattle garden. You know, it's, um, you know, it's not when somebody says, you know, you picture a, an estate winery and, you, you know, there's a winery in the middle and it's surrounded by vineyard and everybody, you know, it's all flat and easy. And um, this is, a, a you know... You can't see. We're sitting here in the tasting room on, on the crush pad. You can't see any of the vineyard blocks from here. They're all tucked into these little nooks and crannies and uh, carved out of carved out of this you know sides mountain of mountains. Rock. Yeah. You know, it's definitely not flat around no, here. It's not, uh -uh. It's, nothing's no. flat. Nothing's easy. <laughs> nothing's and that's uh, something that maybe Richard Arrowwood and Phil Cateri have in common is that they don't like to take the easy way of doing but anything. But it's it's yeah. it's well done and it, it works and. You know, you're, you, the old idea of farming for flavors, I think that was uh, 
Mr. Benzinger's idea, and it, it makes sense, but that's what you know, we try to do. I think all of us here in Sonoma Valley have that same idea of um, what's the best way to do it, not necessarily the most. Um, I mean, we're, we're usually south of a ton and three-quarter per acre. I mean, Phil can tell you that. Uh, we've, we're, all of our Cabernet, for instance, are all of the Antoff clones. They're nice and early. Berries are very little. Matter of fact, this year, I've never seen, this is probably some of the littlest berries we've seen in a long time. So it's going to be very fascinating. Um, I think it's even, it may even be, if we get it in before the range and things, maybe every bit as good as 15. We'll just have to wow. see. But it looks, looks very promising. But, but Phil really, really does understand what you want. And as I said, there's, there's probably no, and I'm not saying this, Sam, but just because you're here, but your dad is uh, uh, absolutely a diamond, as far as I'm concerned, for a winemaker. Thank you. I, uh, one of one of the most fun things that I've done with my dad was we sat down and I, it's somewhere hopefully on the Sonoma Valley Vintners website still. Um, the conversation that they recorded made a video series, you and my dad in conversation, and it's sure. I, I mean it's everything uh, you know, from a from a visual standpoint. Uh, Richard Arrowood is in a, a blazer with some elbow patches. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we got Phil into a clean shirt. Uh, but I think it says resist on it. Yeah, or it, it might. It might. And um, but so truly, like very different people that maybe we go to the same barber and that's about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not for the top, just for the just yeah, for the beard. I got you. Uh, but you know, talk about how how you've worked because we've we worked with my dad for basically as you know, my okay. entire life. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and how, you know, how did that relationship develop a little bit? And, and, um, you know, how some, maybe some, maybe I'm sure there's at least a story or two that you can talk yeah. about in the, yeah. the, the old it's, days. It's, it's, it was really quite simple when, uh, when, uh, I was at Arrowwood, I remember Phil just really wanted to get this into organic. And yeah, at that time I, you know, I, I'm not saying I was into better living through chemistry, but I thought to myself, you know, organic is really a lot of work and no Richard it's not so we started looking at vineyards that he was farming and we'd look at uh, a couple of areas where he'd done some experiments where you had one vineyard one one in the same block one row was farmed organically and the other not and the health of the vines you could start to see it so essentially I used to always say he drugged me into it kicking and screaming but that's really not the truth once you could see the differential and then started to taste what was going on with the fruit and things. I thought to myself, you know, he's really on to something. And so we, we converted, I'm trying to think what year it was at Arrowwood. Because uh, it was, uh, since we, we built that winery in 87, had the vineyards planted, probably either 89 or 90, we wow. converted it and, yeah. and to, to, to organic. And uh, it made a big difference. And again, for somebody... You know, my, my idea is being raised uh, and, and schooled in science. Um, you know, I'm looking at what's the, what's the most efficient way of doing things. And, and, and yet, when you look at organic farming, it's not only efficient, but, you know, you think to yourself, well, I'm drinking the wines too, and so do I want anything in there that I'm, I'm going to be worried about? And yeah. the answer is no. And so, you know, yeah, it's a little, a little more handwork. But just because you don't put herbicides on, I mean, there's all sorts of other ways to take care of weed control if you have to worry about it. Cover crop takes care of itself with cultivation and so on and so forth. Uh, sulfur, uh, dusting, um, uh, you know, stylet oil, whatever. These things are all, you know, pretty, uh, pretty harmless compared to humans for, uh, with humans compared to, uh, 
a lot of other things that can be put on there. So Phil was right. I think it made a big difference. And, uh, uh, you know, the wines we've done that uh, have been crafted. Now, we're not making organic wines, so there's a, there's a difference, right, obviously. Right. We're making wines from organically grown grapes. And that, that to me, is, um, is very important. So, What did you see, just like from a winemaking standpoint, with the juice that you were bringing in from uh, from a conventionally farmed vineyard and again, does the do, were there differences? Just, is it? I mean, you know, I believe it's in the flavors, but are there differences also, um, you know, in the production or the fermentations better? Anything like that? Yeah, fermentations are simpler, uh, it, less less problems. There's hmm. no doubt about it because you don't have to worry about anything that's, uh, you know, residual that's going right. to be a problem. I mean, right. you, you know, you obviously. Once veraison is occurring, you're not sulfur dusting anymore. So you get you got to have some time on the vine, but that's no big deal. That's just common sense and good viticultural practice. Uh, the you you said it. You 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 really uh, uh, I think uh, set upon it initially, and that is the flavor profiles. And, and I mean, they're really what a difference. Now I'm pretty sure it, a lot of our, for instance, our Cabernet with the uh, the characteristics you always used to get from you know the. Uh, um, methoxypyrazine or what people call that bell pepper character with with the on top clone you don't get it very much to begin with but we continue we taste until it's gone completely i mean there's always a hint of it before before it gets to the maturity level you want but the flavor profiles are so wonderful not only because of the clonal selection that phil picked out but because i think it's just the vines are healthier the ground is more alive the plants are more alive, uh, and it's, uh, you know, as I said, I, I would have, I, I'm not quite into biodynamic yet, but I, but I do accept, I do accept organic for something that's very, very Richard, positive. that's the one thing you said that made the most sense. You looked at those vines and you saw that they were healthier. You saw a difference in the organic yeah. and the non. Well, and, 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 and of course, in the fruit. Yeah, absolutely. There's, You'd have to be uh, uh, really kind of almost, I would use the word foolish, not to be able to see the difference. You can see the difference. It's, right. it's more work. There's, yeah. no, there's no doubt about it, but it's not a lot more work. And plus you're doing something that's really not harming the land. Uh, you know, I, um, it, it just reminds me, you need to be a good steward of the land. I remember going up to Alaska fly fishing. I always loved to do it. People say, you know, you bring it back fish. No. Uh, what do you do? Well, I... Uh, take pictures and leave footprints. I mean, those are the things that I think are the most important. Uh, I'm not a tree hugger, but on the other side of the coin, you need to do what's right for the environment. And there's no reason to put things in the environment that are going to be a problem. I mean, that's just a theory. Here's to that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I, I mean, you appreciate know, that. from sitting on this side of the table and, and knowing just how different Richard and my dad are, uh, you can, I mean, that was a direct quote, and they've said, you know, they have that same. It's the same philosophy, uh, and um, you know, so it's obvious, you know, where what you know what that bind was that connected the two of you, and has held through, you know, multiple presidencies and senators and governors, <laughs> and you know, and that yeah, you know, some of you were happier about than others. Of you course, know, I mean, of it, um, no, I always I talked to Phil, and I said, you know, Phil. I got a favor to ask, and he says, "No, Richard, I am not going to vote Republican." <laughs> and I understand, you know, but I wasn't going to ask him. That, but he always, he always prefaces the answer that way. Hey, Richard, could you speak a little bit um, about any trends from the wine making um, side that you would have thought that it would never have come back around that maybe now have? 
or maybe in your own winemaking, something that at one point you said, well, that just doesn't work with my winemaking anymore, but all of a sudden it comes back and you kind of revisit it? Yeah, uh, probably the biggest thing for us, besides the organic farming, is just the lack of processing that we we do. That doesn't mean we're uh, enologically remiss in things that we do, but it means that if you don't have to do something uh, in a physical way to uh, wine, then why do it? So we don't. Fil- none of our reds are filtered. Uh, everything is settled naturally. Um, the only thing we filter, we make a little bit of rose cuvee uh, because it's non-malolactic. That does have to go through sterile filtration, but we only make about 50 cases. And uh, so far, it's been it's it's not really taken anything out of it that I can see, and it gives you some peace of mind because our reds are malolactic positive finished fermenting totally dry. There's nothing really to worry about as long as you've got some clarity there. You need, you're going to have that. A uh, little bit of Chardonnay we make, we do filter. Uh, it, it's malolactic finished, um, totally dry. We do do a very rough filtration on that because even settling the barrel, you get some of this opalescence, and most people won't go for that. I mean, I know that some people still do that, uh, but... Uh, and we're so small, you're not going to do centrifugation at this particular point. It makes no sense. So, um, you know, we're doing a lot of things more backward than, than you know, the cross-flow, filtra- cross-flow filtration. Everything else that's done today that's, that's, you know, modern techniques, which is nothing wrong with that. It just depends on your size and what you're trying to accomplish. And for us, again, the smaller is better. I mean, everything unfined, unfiltered, I don't do any fining if we don't have to. Now, if we do have to do that, then we will fine it, but we haven't over the years and the filtration on reds is totally unnecessary if you do things right they come out pretty darn clear the 13 cabernet that you're tasting if you look at that i mean there's plenty of clarity there uh, it's a beautiful wine it really is thank you 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 know all my notes believe me you know another thing that uh, what i've learned about you and your winemaking is that you have your style and i'm sure it's evolved but in general, like when Cabernet, when um, alcohols kept going up, concentration, um, acids started dropping, pHs started going up, um, you've stayed your course and you've always made your wine stylistically. Um, and now it appears that that's all coming back the other way. Um, yeah. and, I, and I just wonder if that makes you kind of smile once in a while. Well, you know, again, uh, because I'm an old guy in the business now, I used to be one of the youngest, now I'm one of the oldest, but uh, interestingly enough, you have the youngsters in the business, I hear this occasionally there, you know, I, I, we just got through picking our Cabernet, uh, you know, the equivalent alcohol is going to turn out to be between 14 and a half, 15, which is a little higher than I like, but 14 and a half, could, we could certainly live with it, and it's got the texture we're looking for, and so on and so forth. And uh, I see some of my compatriots haven't picked yet, in some of the areas that are real close to us here, and I'm thinking... You know, we just picked at 25 and a half, 26 sugar, and, I, and the flavors were there. There's no greenness. It's time to pick it. What do you wait? Well, uh, we haven't picked it yet. So what's, what sugars yet? Well, we're around 27 to 29, <laughs> and, I, and we're still getting green flavors. I said, you got, if you're getting green flavors at 27 to 29, what are you doing wrong? I mean, there's something that's really strange there. And, I mean, your dad and I are really on the same page on this thing because you're really not doing the vine any good by letting fruit hang that long a period of time, number one. And number two, I'm not sure why you'd want to produce a wine such high in alcohol, have to go through a process of dealking or adding water, whatever you have to do just to get it down to a level where the fermentation will finish out. 
and and you haven't gone to an over. I mean, I love ripe bananas, but I hate hate overripe bananas. I mean, that's just unless you're going to make bananas foster or something. But the fact is, it, it they don't taste right when they're that that high in sugar. And and they the, the pendulum has finally swung back, I think, more towards the middle again, and it makes more sense. It's all about balance, uh, Bart, Sam. You all know what that is. I mean, it's it's. Um, uh, you know, years and years ago, uh, when we uh, uh, made many of our our uh, Monterosso Zinfandels from our neighbor here, we were fortunate uh, for about eleven years uh, to uh, to obtain fruit from these old hundred and twenty plus year old vines. Um, phenomenal acids. I mean, it it, it harvested twenty six, twenty seven sugar. Um, you had probably point. 8.5.9 or 8.5, 9 grams per liter of acid, very low pHs. And, I mean, it was always a son of a gun to finish malactive. We got it done. But here you're talking about, you know, a way to uh, – you've got these old old Zinfandels. I mean, you, you guys make fantastic – Dane Sellers make fantastic Zinfandels that I've tasted. Yes, they do. Love them. Thank and, you very much. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, and, and you know what it is. I mean, these older vines just seem to give you better. I mean, Zinfandel can be very uneven ripening, as you know. But uh, we used to get that consistency out of that. And so, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, the Gallo family that owns Monterosso Vineyards decided to keep it for themselves. I can't say that I blame them. I mean, I think that was a smart move on their part. But I was disappointed that we couldn't get it anymore. Uh, uh, let's see, I think 16 was our last vintage that we But they we can't had. keep the view from us well, no we can still see their <laughs> that's view. right yeah, that's right and it's our and it's home. beautiful isn't well, it spectacular our, our, yeah our house our property right abuts theirs i mean we're just a rock stone throw away they get mad when i throw stones but uh <laughs> you gotta, get, do you, you gotta do you, get rid of them somehow <laughs> that's right exactly do you, do, you, exactly. You gotta, do you call and complain when they're spraying and stuff like that no no i i don't do that uh they, had, they were doing it with a helicopter this summer oh yeah you, saw, you know uh, you're out there kind of like you're kidding like me, it. really? It, it's uh, oh, when Jesus. you have 350 acres on top of a mountain, all those little funny blocks they have up there. It's uh, you know probably Makes saved sense. probably saved a lot probably of money does. that way. Absolutely. Well, this this wine is delicious, Richard. It's um, what I love about it is the texture and the tannin. It's very fine grained and it really um, really it's, it's ripe tannins. Yeah, it's ripe and, tannins. And you know, without question. Um, Amapola Creek is going to be one of the first Cabernets that that we'll bring in, um, and yeah, usually you know, is. There's right. there's no, it's not green. Oh no, 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 the, no not at all. the tannins are mature. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's just again two things: crop level and right. and clone. Right, I really think that makes a makes a big difference. If we were, you know, tr and I'm I'm pretty sure even on the hillside here we could easily get three and a half, four ton to the acre, um, but that's just way too right. much for. It's, for what we're looking for. And I mean, you know, if, um, if you're getting those type of yields, you know, and you're trying to have the public pay around a hundred dollars for a bottle of wine, uh, you know, there's, there's some, uh, something that just isn't, isn't kosher as far as I'm concerned, yeah. you know? Yeah. Can we talk about that? How do people get your wines? I see some people sitting outside right now doing uh -huh. a, doing a tasting. They've been here since we got here. Enjoying looks themselves. Like, uh, they have some nice, looks like they're having a good Yeah. It looks like here. if you come up here for a tasting, uh, you're not, you're yeah. not at a tasting bar. You're no, sitting no. down at a table. You've got, um, you've got several glasses in front of you, several wines, and you're looking at this beautiful view. And, um, and is most, most of your wines just direct to consumer? 
Well, it's, uh, it's not as much as we'd like. Uh, we're right now at about 40%. I, I think 75% makes plenty of sense, although we've got some great distributors and great distribution for our size, mainly to on-premise accounts. But um, it wasn't up until just recently that we were able to have people up here by appointment. We applied for a, a change in the use permit, and I don't want to cast any dispersions on the PRMD <laughs> And Sonoma, because they're probably they oh, listening in. Yeah, no, 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 no. Everyone else does. <laughs> he might have another permit in the works. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Only say good yeah, things. That's right, exactly. <laughs> but it did take, a, well, I, and I'm sure it had to do with, with the fires, but it took us 14 months to, to get the permit all done and several, uh, a fair amount of money just to do it uh, for permits and things, which is interesting because we didn't have to do any construction. I mean, the winery was built for 5,000 cases, and uh, we had a use permit for three. The use permit was approved, you know, after 14 months for 5,000 cases. No construction whatsoever. Not a not a nail extra or a, a part of any kind to have to go in. Uh, and uh, it just took a little longer than we anticipated, but we're happy to have it now. And so, I mean, we're not having, we don't have events. We're not having tour buses full of people come up. Thank you. Uh, that'd be a rough, just, that'd be a tough driveway for a tour Well, it bus. would be very <laughs> tough, yeah, yeah, amen to that. But it's just, you know, you, you want to have people that are going to have a, a good time. And Sonoma, we're laid back. This is not Napa Valley. Nothing wrong with Napa as far as that's concerned. But, I mean, we're just more laid back. And so we're, we're building our wine club. Um, we have a membership of just a little south of 300. Our goal is four. Uh, we'll probably have that within another year or so. And uh, just focus on, on really many wines that the people, they'll find them in a restaurant here and there. Um, actually, we have better distribution than many wineries I've, I've uh, uh, been involved with over the years. In New York City, for instance, uh, we're in well over 60 some of the top restaurants. Um, it is a wine that just, you see on this, at, the, at the good restaurants in yeah, New York. Yeah, and yeah, that's just... It's nice uh, to see Sonoma cabs there once Yeah, and I mean, that's just what it's about. And of course... You know, it's it's the thing that's so funny is that people don't realize. I mean, every time we talk about Cabernet Sauvignon today, not every time, almost every time, you know, people say, well, what part of Napa are, are you guys in? And I say, <laughs> well, the best part, you know, is Sonoma. <laughs> uh, but this is where commercial viniculture started. This is where it all began way back in the 1800s, uh, mid, mid to late 1800s. And um, we have some great, 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 uh, terroirs that I think people just we, we just haven't done enough good homework on getting the the marketing aspect of it out there we make some great wines and I will tell you what I, I blind anytime I'll put my wines up against anybody's or Cabernets for instance against anybody's Cabernet from anywhere and including I think Bordeaux look good. these wines would stand up to some of the great Bordeaux's yeah. I mean anywhere in the world and I, I think the, the point is We've got a great area here, and we just need to do maybe a little more PR work to make people aware of it. Now, again, I don't want to see any more traffic than anybody else, so it's a balancing act. I've got great neighbors, you know, and when you, when you go to apply for an increase in, in production, of course, you have to go with every single neighbor within uh, 100 yards, excuse me, 300 yards of your property line, I think is what it is, maybe 100 yards. Anyway, so I talked to all the neighbors, and because... We've been good neighbors. Nobody complained. They said, no problem at all. And I'll be darned if I want to screw that up. So I want to keep it, you know, we're by appointment. So if somebody just shows up, well, you know, no, we have two times a day that we do it. And we call up, make an appointment, we can do something. And we're just going to keep it low key. 
um, and make the, uh, you know, make the experience something that people want to remember in a positive way. And so the current lineup of wines are a rosé? Rosé, Chardonnay, from that's the only thing that we have that's not uh, Moon Mountain, uh, Sonoma Valley, is Russian River Valley Chardonnay from Joseph Belli Vineyards. Joe, Joe has West Tech Tank Company. Joe has been a friend of mine for, if I tell you how long, he's going to say, I'm not that old, uh, but it's been a lot of years. And uh, he does a great job on, on this vineyard for us and, so, and farmed organically also. So everything we have is 100% organic cool. farm. Yeah. And, then, and then on top of that, there might be some remaining uh, Zinfandel left. A little bit of Zinfandel left. Uh, Phil, uh, with the exception of Monteroso, Phil found two blocks for us. Uh, one, the 60-year-old block, it just breaks my heart, uh, the Nuns Canyon, and then they got torn out, which is a, yeah. just... Yeah, of course. It's like, uh, <laughs> don't do that. But anyway, it was done. Beautiful Zinfandel, gorgeous. And then the Bartholomew Park piece was very, very nice on the original... Not the block itself, not the, the vines itself, but the block was the original block that Heresty. Right. Back, the original. Back in. Yeah. And what a beautiful up. spot yeah. Park Park oh. is. Yeah. You know, oh, tucked it's away gorgeous. back in there. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. It's really yeah. Nice. Absolutely gorgeous. And, and then, of course, the Estate Cabernet. And the Estate Cabernet. And then we also have a, a wine called Cuvée Elise, which is a Rhone blend of uh, Grenache, Syrah, Mavedra, and sometimes a little tiny bit of Viognier. There you go. And I. Uh, I named it Cuvée Elise because I thought, since I taught her how to shoot, it was safer than naming after some old girlfriend. So, <laughs> you, know, you want to think, you want to think long. Richard, that's perfect. about that. <laughs> well, listen, um, Richard, thank you very much. Uh, anybody have any more questions? Well, this is the time where I say, everybody, thanks for listening. And Brian comes up with, oh, wait, wait, wait. I've got a couple more minutes comments. Of content. No, <laughs> Richard, how do you get in touch with? Amapola Creek. Well, you can go online. Wine. You can go online www.amapolacreek.com, or you can give us a call here at the winery, seven zero seven nine three eight three seven eight three. And that's A M A P O L A P O L A Amapola Creek. Creek.com. Okay, there you go. That's yeah. easy. That's yeah. an easy one, folks. Yeah. And believe me, um, what we're tasting today just puts everything else to shame. It's just an absolute stunning wine the cab is fantastic thank, thank you, you so much thank you pleasure yeah and can we get uh, go ahead and get our shout outs to uh to all our friends so uh, todd jolly at sonoma's best uh, who's doing a great job bringing in some great local and Boy, uh, imported he, wines you know, you know, no. i mean no, things have changed with that Am- little place for so, sonoma's best to keep its name uh, it needs to have some Amapola Creek on the shelf there. Yeah, so um, t- uh, Sonoma's Best is at the end of 8th Street East. Oh. Um, Todd's doing a really good job with small local wineries, um, all hand-selected, you know, uh, a list of wines in the wine shop. And then he has a lot of um, international wines also. Again, a lot of things that you don't see commonly. And so. the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, and he, he loves yeah. wine. We'll, I mean, we'll put you in touch really with him. It. Okay, you got it. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Appreciate that. Well, and also to uh, the Rhone Room, another uh, toy store for adults. <laughs> well, uh, not adult toy store, <laughs> but toy store <laughs> for adults. And I, um, I just left John Wilson, Sandra, at, uh, and uh, John... Tulsi at uh, Girl in the Fig, uh, fellow so fellow they, they, uh, they, Rhone they, Rangers. They wanted right? to uh, say hi to everybody, and and yep. uh, so. Day's coming up. 
We, we do have Grenache Day coming up. We will be at a private event on Friday. Sam is doing Vinyl Sunday. Uh, tacos. Following dude, Sunday, Grenache. he's going to do duck <laughs> confit tacos with the, uh, oh with the Fagre. I am so there. And I'll be, yeah. I'll be unveiling the wine that we sort of freshened our palates with here, which is our 2017 Val Rossi Homage Blanc. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, that's beautiful. beautiful. About, thank you. About 70, thank you. It's about 70% Roussan, a little Grenache Blanc, a little Marsan. Yeah. 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 yeah, very from, nice. From the Rossi Ranch. So that'll be coming out, and we have some, some new wines and the fig rig, live music. So it's, right. it'll be fun. Send the 23rd Tasting House. And uh, if you want to get a hold of Bart's Wines, you can go to danesellers.com. Uh, still has a little bit of Chenin Blanc. I actually see a bottle out of the corner <laughs> of my eye right now on the table, which uh, he says it's for Richard, but I'm thinking that might find its way into my car. And I must apologize. I, I apologize once again. Bob Cabral did give me a bottle of 2011 William Sellium uh, Chenin Blanc for you, yes, and I did. did. Dr- I did and drink, you drink it. it. And I. Oh, man. Yes. <laughs> That's. Oh, I told him I was going to drink it. Um, I'll see if I can get another one out of him. That's I think the last one. It might have been the last bottle. but uh, Richard, yeah, we'll I have a one. question for you. I assume you drive from here to Montana. I do. Mm-hmm. What uh, wines do you take with you to relax and well, sit on your deck? Well, truth and... be known, I have a fairly substantial cellar in Montana. So I, I, okay. I brought him up a long time ago. Uh so what I have, uh, you know, besides... Of Mind if we drop by? No, as a matter of fact, I don't. If you want to come out, if you, but you just have to be prepared for uh, quiet. It's so quiet at night when you sleep, other than hearing the stream, it's like a tomb. So it's pretty nice <laughs> if, you, if you want to get away from that. But yeah, we've got a nice wine cellar. Uh, a lot of Arrowwood wines, of course, a lot of Amapola Creek, and a lot of fine Burgundies, and uh, there are a few Bordeaux's and a fine few, few Burgundies. Yes, yeah. so there you go. Well, I, you know, there's a lot of people that make some great Pinot Noirs. Uh, I've made ten of them in my life, and one of them turned out to be pretty darn good. <laughs> so, um, but how, the rest well, of them. Perfect. How was the trout fishing this year? Trout fishing was unfortunately uh, because I had. I'm a besides winemaker. I'm also a a clay target competitor, so I do a fair amount of shooting. So we had quite a few competitions, and I didn't get a chance to wet a line more than once or twice. Okay. Now, I think Elise, which, which she's up there now with our boys, with our two dogs, uh, Cooper and Riley, and uh, so she's probably wetting the line on occasion. She's a pretty good fly fisherman. So, yeah, right on. we've got this yeah. nice brook. Wetting the line. That's a new one for me. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you have, you're not a fisherman then. I am. I am. I mean, I go fishing once a year in Downeyville. Just, the line. Uh, yeah. you know, catch something. But I've never heard that catch term. A, catch a no, buzz is probably no, what you're fishing a, for. <laughs> Richard, have you uh, been watching this uh TV show with uh, Kevin Costner called The Yellowstone. It's about him and his ranch in Wyoming. He owns 300,000 acres of... Isn't it Montana um, that he's supposed to be? He is in Montana. You're right. But it's being filmed of all places in Utah. (laughs) Isn't that... (laughs) Yeah. But it's it's supposed to be... It it just makes that big sky country look spectacular well it, it is and I, I you know I hesitate to say how beautiful Montana because you don't want anybody you to don't come. want people no, moving it's there. awful it's, there but it's mosquitoes the size yeah. of- oh mosquitoes yeah that's the that's a, the state bird but uh, <laughs> it's it is it's absolutely gorgeous if you really enjoy solitude and just a place to chill out and get your not, not in the winters per se that can really chill out but uh, it's a place to just kind of get your mind right and uh, for me it's sort of my refuge. 
and uh, I don't go to church every Sunday, but when I'm in Montana, I'm in church every day. You certainly are there. Sounds Holy like a great thing. place to drink a really good bottle of Burgundy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In front, of, you know, it's so nice. <laughs> Sit in front of the fireplace in the in the fall. You had a good bird hunt, maybe a couple of grouse. You got lucky, got in, flew into your shot somehow, and uh, you're sitting there barefoot with your dog at your feet, and the fire going, and a glass of Cabernet, and reading a a good book. Uh, I tell you, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. I, I don't know a better way to end the show than that. No, Richard Erwin, you are a lucky man, <laughs> and you have had an absolutely stunning uh, life, and, and you've ha- obviously had a lot of fun doing it. Most of the time, absolutely. And, you know, I'm married <laughs> to a lady who, after 33 years, she can't be all bad me married to me all that time. So she can put up nice. a lot. Then, yeah, she huh? puts up okay, with an awful well. lot. Yeah, absolutely. God bless her. No I think we're it. all in that situation. So <laughs> I'll just say four. that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Richard, once again, thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate it. I've always respected all the wines you've made and you as a person. And so this has been really great. Thank you. Go to amapolacreek.com and get your hands on these because they're awesome. And hey, everybody, thanks for listening to The Winemakers. I'm John Myers, along with Brian Casey, Bart Hanson, Sam Couture, and Richard Arrowwood. Thank you so much, and thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks, John.